We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are living. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. Welcome to another episode of Life in Color with me, Nicole, Anissa, Sherry Rose, and Leanne. So, thank you to the new faces that we have in the studio with us today. I'd like to welcome Aretha. Hi, Aretha. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Kimmy? Hello. And Keenan. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, Ritha, Kimmy, and Keenan are joining us for our show today because we are speaking about Indigenous Australians um, and issues of Indigenous Australians that have been in the media recently. And of course, we wanted um, them, as young Indigenous people, to speak on these issues. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourselves, guys. All right, I'll go first. Um, so my name is Kimberly Lovegrove. I am a Nutundari woman from South Australia. Mm-hmm. So where my family f- is from is located um, probably three, four hours away from Adelaide. Um, I moved to Melbourne when I was 20, 21, and I've been living it up on a student budget. Uh, Yourself, uh, Keenan? Yeah, um, so I'm Keenan. I am Naranjeri and Yoda Yoda. Mm -hmm. So my family's northern Victoria Mm -hmm. and where Kimmy is from also. Our family are from a couple hours outside of Adelaide. Mm -hmm. Um, Currently... I work for the Department of Justice as an Aboriginal Liaison Officer. Awesome. Thanks. And yourself, Aretha? Um, my name is Aretha Brown. Um, I'm 15 and I'm, I'm, I'm a student at the moment, I guess. Um, I'm a Gumbangari woman and so my mob's from uh, northern New South Wales in a town called Nabucca Heads. Uh, shout out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so, you know, I'm living in Melbourne, I'm doing school here, and, um, yeah. Of course, we also have our regular TV, <laughs> sorry, not TV, radio. our regular radio host, Anissa. Hello. And Leanne. Hey, guys. Unfortunately, Nicole isn't with us today, but it's all right, because we're still going to have a good time. Cool, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, how could you forget okay. the most topical... So, the most topical thing in news for the last uh, week, week or so has been whether or not millennials are unable to afford their own homes because they eat too much smashed avocado on toast. And being young people, being millennials slash Gen Yers, I'm not really exactly sure where the cutoff mark is with all of that, but... I know that they were talking about people like us, oh, yeah. and therefore it is appropriate that we chime in on this debate. <laughs> so, Leanne, what are your thoughts on smashed avocados in houses? Um, I just think it's ridiculous that like some white baby boomer who has like a nice job with the Australian magazine is telling young people when... I think 20 more, 20% more of young people are going to university, but permanent jobs have decreased by 33%. Mm. Housing mm. prices have gone off the roof, mm. especially with negative gearing, like mm. people get tax breaks for having mm. second, third homes. Mm. But, you know, that's not the problem. The problem isn't like these super rich white people buying all these houses, living in Turak. It's because it's we keep eating avocado. That's the problem, you know? Yeah. It's because we keep going to hipster cafes and eating avocado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as an avocado aficionado, I am deeply 
offended by that article. Um, and I think it's kind of ageist. Like, I really don't like the stereotypes of young women, uh, young people, people. being um, lazy, um, entitled, spoiled. Um, not, not yeah, not willing to work hard enough. Just going to breakfast um, in cafes, eating their smashed avocado yeah. on toast with their you know eggs Benedict or eggs Florentine, whatever you have. But it's like at the same time, it's like you know why can't we enjoy ourselves? You know, not only are we not the stereotype that that um, journalist is portraying, we have a right to you know enjoy our lives. We're still young, yeah. and it's not like we can realistically save up for a house these days anymore so sometimes it just makes sense to spend that money on spoiling yourself with a nice breakfast when you go to the cafe um and it's not like those cafe goers are not like working hard and studying hard every other day of the week so yeah what do you reckon kimmy this is just completely ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) like i love my food i really love it and you know, I don't know why this, you know, privileged um, man is saying that, you know, eating avocado on your toast is connected to you not having a house. <laughs> like, why not change the food, food group to cheese? Like, I would have so many houses, man, <laughs> if it was, you know, connected to how much cheese you eat. Yeah. But it's just, with young people today, they, I feel like they have this kind of mind goal where they want to be and how they want to get a house Mm -hmm. and how they want to set their life out and a lot of kids these days they're finishing uni Mm -hmm. or they're working um at full-time jobs trying to save enough money to get a house and it is most likely that none of them have avocado on their toast or avocado in their life Mm. because avocado is like expensive not only expensive, but disgusting. <laughs> like you, well, can, you can't have well, it on its own. own. I don't know that I can support that. But. Like, you can't have it on on its own. You have to have it, like, with something. I'll, oh, I eat avocados with a spoon. Yeah. I, I, I can't eat it straight. Butter. I can't eat it straight. I have to have, like, something. Like what? Salt? No. Like, there's a cafe here at um, RMIT. So you that, are. That do, that with their breakfast, they serve avocado with, like, you know, eggs and bacon and stuff I'll have avocado with that but not like on its own straight out of its little (laughs) cusp thing Mm -hmm. you know but I don't see how it's connected to owning a house Mm. there was a BuzzFeed article that was like Mm. oh I stopped eating avocado now I own a castle (laughs) that is the kind of logic yeah how many many avocados would you not have to eat for you to be able to own a house. Yeah. I'm not sure. They like, actually, I think someone did actually research yeah. that or um, calculate yeah. that. Like a more math poor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll we'll check up I think on it was that something and get back like to you guys. 130, but I'm pretty sure that was even just 130 for de- years. Yeah. yeah, that was for a, a deposit, deposit. I'm pretty sure, sure. Yeah. approximately <laughs> something like that. But we'll we'll check oh up God. on that. But basically, <laughs> um, I think we'd all like to agree in this room. I would say that that debate was a bit simplified of the much larger factors <laughs> and much more complicated factors that have contributed to perhaps millennials feeling defeated about their prospects of Mm. having or owning their own home in the future, which is uh, difficult because obviously um, in our society, that's an aspiration that so many young people who want to set up their lives have. 
So perhaps we've just, you know, resigned to the fact that, you know, since we are not going to have a castle, <laughs> I wish. we'll just eat avocado. I actually read an article that said that, like, there's certain um, castles in France, like chateaus in France, that cost the same amount as apartments in Sydney. So, like, mm. there might be a point where you there's more chance of buying a castle in France than an apartment in Sydney. Mm. That's how expensive, oh inflated. <laughs> yeah, so for the first segment, we really wanted to discuss, um, yeah, give, a, give some context to um, Aborigines in Australia by giving a very, 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 very quick overview of the history of Aborigines in Australia. The first thing that I would say, though, is that the term Aborigines is a very white European construct. Mm. Um, it's a very general term to um, represent hundreds of different nations mm. and tribes across this continent who all have um, different cultures and dialects. Um, so it's a very, it's like kind of like a catch-all term, but we're mm. just going to For use it. Of- lack of a better term, we're just going to mm. um, use this term. So. Um, Aborigines um, constitute the oldest civilization in the world, going back about 400,000 years. 400,000 years, yep. So, um, yeah, 400,000 years. Um, they were, that's the first um, scientific evidence of DNA of Aboriginal racial groups. Yeah, we have that history. Yeah, and the oldest camping site um, was found in Pilbara, Western Australia, and that is 35,000 years old. Wow. Uh, Yeah, and, like, we're still shocked at these facts, and it's like, (laughs) we should know these things, but we're we're just told that, you know, Aboriginal history is something in the footnotes of Australian history, which is really disappointing. Yeah, it's not the kind of stuff you usually get taught at primary school or Mm. high school. You just Mm. get taught about... Mm. Yeah, and it's such a Convict. rich history. Like, aren't yeah. we lucky? You know, or when they or when they do talk about indigenous history uh, at school, I know for for um, you know experience, it's you go through a history textbook, and the first two pages will be indigenous mm-hmm. history, and it will be you know some some Aboriginal guy you know naked with a with a boomerang, mm. and then you know you flick to the next three hundred pages, pages, and it's white colonization, <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of like oh, so that's it. That's yeah, it. And that yeah. was definitely my experience in in high school. Mm. And um, if you don't actively search it for yourself, it's very likely that you won't know anything else Mm. aside from Mm. what you've been exposed to Mm. in your high school or primary school. Definitely. And it seems like it's not as celebrated, I think, anyway, as it should be. I mean, Mm. that's 400,000 years. Mm. Like, that's Mm. quite lucky to live in the country that, you know, that that kind of history, Mm. you know, exists, that kind Mm. of history and culture and... You know, it's a pity that we don't tap into that and that mm. we don't understand it, you know, better and know yeah. of it more. Yeah. Mm. And comparatively, if you look at the history of, like, the modern Australian nation, if we, if we like, date it to, like, 1901 being the Federation of Australia, how long is that? Mm. That's, like, you know, 100 years or so. Yeah. We've got, mm. like, 400,000 years um, of history that we should be celebrating, but we're not. Mm. So back to what I was saying about the oldest camping site, um found in Pilbara, Western Australia, which is 35,000 years old. Um, I want to just say something that is kind of, it's like a sad irony. So this um, site is near the Juggling Rock Shelter, and now the site belongs to a mining lease that's jointly owned by Rio Tinto and Hancock Prospecting, and both companies refuse to permanently exclude the site from mining. Mm. Um, It's not just this site, it's a lot of um, different other areas of Australia that have been... um, 
used by you know governments or corporations for their own um, resources for their own profit at the expense of Aboriginal communities mm. and the consequences of that have been um, basically disaster for a lot of Aboriginal communities and the mm. fact that there are so many um, issues and problems with um, Aborigines that they face um, it's a direct consequence I believe from the dispossession oh, of the their fact land that we get like mining companies who try and justify yeah. you know taking land by saying oh well but we're employing Aboriginal people and it's kind of like mm. well you know your entire arguments kind of contradictory I think yeah um, I think with mining companies that are basically keeping a hold of a land that belongs to the tr- traditional owners, mm-hmm. it's it's like they're keeping a part of um, our history away from us and mm-hmm. that's completely not right because obviously this um, land that they're keeping keeping and not really mm-hmm. you know giving back to the Aboriginal people, obviously it's a sacred site. Mm. And with sacred sites, they need to be left alone and they need to be respected by everyone. Mm. So I'm just completely, I was completely unaware and completely just Mm. shocked that there are people out there that Mm. can't see the perspective of an Aboriginal person, what it means to, you know, know where you belong. Mm -hmm. Because um, for everyone out there, whether you're Aboriginal or not, knowing where you belong really kind of yeah. it teaches and you it what ju- kind yeah it's just sorry I didn't yeah mean to you over then. um it's just like you know if you put it in retrospect let's just say for example an indigenous sacred spot you know like you know uh, the camping grounds or like you know an uh, ancient rock art kind of um you know place which is so sacred it, it'd almost be similar to you know someone you know getting rid of like a synagogue or a church or like, people don't realize if you put it in you know in comparison mm-hmm. that it's just as bad as destroying something that's so sacred and so old you know if not older than so many churches it's like destroying Notre Dame for us like some yeah. of these places it's yeah. just it's like you know and it, it's, it's so disregarded I think yeah so um, that I guess is a reflection of how the continent and um, these sites where Aboriginal people lived and thrived for thousands of years um, how how they were treated um, and how they were um, Dispossessed. I think because a lot of people think of invasion as like you have to destroy a building or you have to, um, I don't know, go to war with people. First off, there was a war, like this is an invasion and there was conflict. So mm-hmm. people say, oh, there, there's been no wars in in, in Australia. And I, I disagree mm-hmm. um, because there was conflict yeah, between yeah, yeah, yeah. the invaders and... Mm-hmm. And, and there's, it, like, there's even... Um the thing that's been talked a lot about is the fact that there was also a lot of conflict between different indigenous tribes. Like before mm. Aboriginal, uh, before European settlement, mm. indigenous tribes that, that you know there was conflicts between yeah. you know different clans and stuff. And mm. you know that's also kind of an interesting point, I think. Yeah, because I think a lot of people think that Aborigines are a homogenous group. Yeah, exactly. The and they all they, yeah, you know, and every time. single indigenous person looks like you know someone really, really dark skinned from the from the Kimberley, and mm. that's what every single Aboriginal person looks like. And we live in some you know remote community somewhere. But the thing. <laughs> is, you know, uh, two-thirds of Indigenous people live in inner-city regional areas, Mm. yet whenever they show Indigenous people in the media or in movies, it's always, you know, in some little tiny remote community somewhere, and it's like, you know, and Mm. they'll be sitting, you know, they'll be in the desert or, you know... They're just it's just kind of weird not showing Indigenous people as a whole and yeah. seeing pe- Indigenous people in the city, you know, going yeah. to work and yeah. being at school. It's always Indigenous people yeah. somewhere in the desert somewhere. It's because like, I think, yeah, showing the reality of 
ab- Aborigines kind of breaks that stereotype that people have been holding on to for so long, as yeah. what you were saying yeah, yeah, about yeah. Um, Aborigines looking and being a certain kind of type. Yeah, yeah. So it's very hard for people when they're challenged by that, to mm. just be like, oh, is that is that what it is? Kind yeah, of and they need that the whole yeah. kind of idea of identity comes in. That's, just a, whole, that's mm. a whole other thing to talk about because I know the fact that for Indigenous people, identity is such a big thing for us. Mm. And, you know, the discussion comes at where someone like me who has fair skin, I'm often confused with, you know, oh, you look Indian or you look, mm. you know, Portuguese or Spanish. And I say, oh, no, I'm Indigenous. And they go, oh, yeah. people are almost, just, you know, kind of surprised, surprised by it. And yeah. they're almost taken back sometimes. Yeah. And it's kind of like... Indigenous people vary so much in yeah. um, the way they look. And there's yeah. a, you always see that kind of expression. It's like, oh, you know, if you add milk to a cup of tea, it's still tea. Um, it's the same thing if you, <laughs> an Indigenous person, yeah. you know, you know, lighter skin, that they're still Indigenous. Yeah. And, you know, there's really there's some really weird concepts. Like, you know, for the fact that I, you know, because I, I got a scholarship to go to my school. And yeah. for, in order for me to get that scholarship, I had to sign a release uh, release of Aboriginality to mm. to confirm that I was Indigenous, which mm. I just was think was so <laughs> stupid. You know, I had to get I remember an elder decided yeah. and family, and it just kind of made me realize. You know, and this is something I got to do, you know, kind of almost annually sometimes, just for different things, just to prove that I'm Indigenous. Just, and it's almost yeah. it's it's almost insulting, I think. A yeah, bit. you have to yeah. constantly yeah. Um, get people to acknowledge your identity. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so. That in Pilbara happened 35,000 years ago, but fast forward to the 1606, um, that was when Europeans first made contact with Aborigines. So that was by the Dutchmen who were exploring the western coast of Cape York and they clashed with Aborigines. And then in 1770, Everyone knows this part when Captain James Cook claimed mm. claimed possession of the whole east coast of Australia for the British Crown, um, and this is where many history classes and textbooks have um, kind of made this fact concrete that um, Captain Cook um, assumed like possession Empty of land, this country yeah, yeah. that it was Terra Nullius, um, yeah, that yeah. no one owned the land and that they were able to possess mm. it. So this is mm. where the history books start, yeah. whereas, you know, it start, it should have started 400,000 yeah. years ago. And then there's, like, the argument that, oh, well, you know, he did, sh- he might have invaded, sure, but, you know, at least he gave those, you know, savage Aboriginal people education mm. and religion <laughs> and sophistication and class, and yeah. it's kind of like, oh, you know. Mm. Yeah, so then after that, from the eight from there till the 1900s, there were countless cases of violence and conflict against Aborigines across different areas of Australia that the Europeans were trying to explore, to exploit, to settle on. Um, and then um, 1901 was the federation of the modern Australian state that we know today, and now we're in 2006. So, um, we should note at that time. Um, so I think up until the referendum, mm. even when that when federation happened, Aboriginal Australians were um, considered flora and fauna or mm. within the category of flora and fauna. Mm. I remember being quite shocked <laughs> when I found that mm. out. Actually, I didn't honestly couldn't believe yeah. that. Yeah, and so from there on, the Australian government uh, then went on a few different policies. So I guess we could put it in uh, different categories of their contact with Aborigines. So the first I would call is kind of like extermination, basically, um, through mm-hmm. different means, whether that was dispossession, mm-hmm. um, direct murder, mm-hmm. um, or even like um, and brutality. Like yeah. the the whole idea of the stolen generation, where yeah. if you know you constantly 
if you go to Aboriginal people, an Aboriginal person, and you marry them to a person who wasn't Indigenous, that eventually, the, through the bloodline, their Aboriginality yeah. would eventually fade out. And so yeah. they encouraged Indigenous people, uh, well, white people basically, to marry Indigenous people. So then mm. eventually, the Aboriginality would like fade through the yeah. generations. Well, not not really what um, marry them, mm. Mm. but yeah, not uh, yeah, not yeah. Breed, yeah, 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 really. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. An interesting point on that is. In today's day and age, in 2016, mm. we are seeing more Indigenous children being taken away mm. from really? their families. Mm-hmm. It's the worst yeah. um, the national epi- yeah. epidemic yeah. since Stolen Generation. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting point mm. to bring up. Yeah. In Australia, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people think that you know times have you know changed, changed yeah. and we moved mm-hmm. on. It's all good now. Kevin, Kevin Rudd said sorry. <laughs> you know, like it, it's it's all fine yeah. now. But the, the, the yeah. people are still Aboriginal people are still suffering the consequences yeah. of this oh, history. Sure. Yeah. Even and, f- yeah, yeah, yeah. Even going on to say that um, because there was that whole gap of Indigenous people who didn't you know through the stolen generation and through you know um, disentitlement. There was a whole gap of Indigenous people who didn't get to go to school, who didn't get to go to university. So that's Mm. why now some of the older generations, you know, they didn't, you know, because they didn't get to university, they didn't get to, you know, have high-paying jobs. And so there's there's still this huge gap, and that's this whole thing about closing the gap, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, about the um, topic that you brought up, um, Kieran, so about the... yeah the kind of new wave of stolen generation. Can you elaborate that more? So is that kind of under the guise of foster care? So have they yeah. kind of doing the same thing, but they've kind of just yeah, docs. marketed it or like painted yeah. it different in a way? So it's, um, it's as we all know, um, having children being taken away from their families yeah. is a multifaceted problem. Yeah. Um, whereas in the 50s, it was purely a case of if the child was Aboriginal, they would be taken away. Now we're seeing um, a more puratic approach to this where our family structure doesn't adhere to the nucleus uh, family structure of um, white civilization. So they say that our family's dysfunctional. So our children get taken away. That's just one impact. I think, Kimmy, you know one of the girls that was on so um, SBS Insight, they did a program about yep. this. And um, would you, yeah, mind? Oh, uh, so a friend of mine, um, Ruby, she um, was on SBS Insight because she is... Um, foster kids so she was um taken away from her uh, family and on that show they um had a bunch well at least three or four more aboriginal kids talking about their experience being taken away Mm -hmm. from their family and kind of talking about um the outcomes of that and a, a lot of it was negative and positive um but for the government to take away any child from their home, it is going to ruin ruin their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly for myself, I've been living on my own since I was at the age of 15, so I haven't really gone through foster care. But um, for myself, I didn't find out I was Aboriginal 
until I was 10 or 11 years old. Mm -hmm. So my knowledge of Aboriginal history isn't as um, more knowledgeable as any other Aboriginal person, so I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. But what really is impactful is um, that even still today that young kids, especially Aboriginal kids, are getting taken away from their family and not being not knowing where they come from because when you you know go through your teenage years and go into young adulthood it's really hard for yourself to identify as something or know where you belong Mm, so I think Mm. you know if anyone who's listening who you know works for the government or anything (laughs) like that this is a specific shout out for you um, you know, just look into more of the situation. Yeah. Don't take the, mm-hmm. any, the child away from their home. Yeah. You know, kind of w- work it out, try and... Yeah, like talk... To, like yeah. That's, that's the thing to discuss a lot. Like, you know, whenever people do talk about Indigenous people or different affairs, it's always talking about us and it's mm. never really to us mm. um, yeah. in terms of, you know, figuring out situations or solutions to those types of problems, I think. Yeah, you're never yeah, given like ownership of that discussion. No, no, no. They're kind of like directing yeah. and defining yeah, sure. what is good and what is bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think those are really good examples of the policies of assimilation and integration mm-hmm. that um, the Australian government has been pursuing and pouring billions of dollars into. Mm-hmm. Most of them are failing because obviously you, um, as a privileged white uh, person or white institution mm-hmm. is defining for Aborigines what they need mm-hmm. when they already know what they they already know what they want and you should give them the platform to decide how they want to live their lives and yeah. give them the rights. Yeah. Sure. And like, yeah. yeah, then there's that whole thing about, you know, well, if the government does help support Indigenous people, then it's like, well, the people that say, well, why do these Aboriginal people get everything for free or why do yeah. Aboriginal mm-hmm. people, you know, get all these special advantages? Yeah. And, you know, to that I kind of say, I had the story about my grandma who was, she always tells me the story about when she was my age, because she had fair skin like me, um, she was taken away from her family <coughs> and she was made to move to Sydney. Um, and she became a housemaid, like a, mm. you know, just basic, basically she became a maid and she didn't get to go through schooling. Mm. And so she kind of says to me every time, you know, there are opportunities, like speaking on the radio, like, yeah. you know, doing all these amazing things that yeah. when people tell you, Aretha, um, you know, why, why do you get all these special advantages? I say, well, you know, it's kind of about time, I think. Um, yeah. I think it's a... Thing. I think it's justice. Yeah, yeah, I think it is justice. Mm. I think, I mean, for example, if you're injured in, in your workplace, like let's yeah. say mm-hmm. you have an injury and it was due to the mm. workplace that, um, that you know, it, that's why it happened, you get compensation yeah. for it. You, mm. get, um, yeah. you get advantages and benefits yeah. from yeah. the government. So why don't we apply the same ideas to Aboriginal people? Why do Mm. we have double standards? And also the white people who complain about this, they benefit so much from white privilege, whether they like probably come from really wealthy family, got to go to a fancy private school, have all these connections to people. Like if you look at media, Mm. even though, you know, we have this great show. Majority of people in media are still white. Yeah, so they actually yeah. did a study. Oh, that yeah. The, yeah, yeah. You don't have to a tell typical us. radio yeah. presenter is like, yeah, a white yeah. hipster. Yeah, like... yeah. So, yeah, no um, what do you guys think about? Because there's been some sort of debates about Australian Day, maybe calling Invasion Day, changing oh. Australian Day. Even with Triple J, they have their kind of top 100. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Oh God. <laughs> you know, good. You're like, um, all right, so. Like, the whole term of Australia Day and how Aboriginal people celebrate it, um, I think it really, Australia Day needs to be called, some, called Survival Day or yeah. Invasion Day. Mm-hmm. So it 
kind of teaches uneducated people of Australia's real history mm. because... Um, it's black history. Yeah, because mm. earlier this year I did a TV project on um, Melbourne's lack of education on Aboriginal history mm. here in Victoria mm. and we did some Vox Pops and we went out there and asked, you know, what do you know about the sacred site on RMIT campus? Mm. And um, there was this constructor guy that said, oh, you know, not a lot. Yeah, I'd be interested. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, you know, <laughs> this is what I really don't understand. If you're living in Australia or you're living in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, mm. you need to know your backyard. You need mm. to know, you know, like, yeah. the history behind it because if you're teaching or you're talking about Australia to someone who's not in Australia and talking about um, the history they're going to believe the kind of, kind of like colonialization of Australia mm-hmm. there's two of, sides to every yeah. story yeah. I think in that yeah. sense and, um, yeah. and it just I think it's all about choosing the side that you want to you know you want to believe I think yeah. um, you can listen to the white you know uh, the white history that we're educated through schools or you can decide to, you know, kind of shed that kind of, not so much ignorance, but just kind of get more, you know, it's it's worth venturing out and, and, you know, listening to this information because it's so valid. Yeah, and I think when you do put it in an international perspective mm. and look at what basically every other country under the Human Rights Charter mm. are doing mm. for their Indigenous people, mm. the fact that Australia is probably the only country not doing anything yeah. for Indigenous yeah. people mm. is just mm. an astonishing fact yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, and one thing that we really interested and really wanted to talk about was that, of course, recently in media, there has been a lot of discussions about Indigenous Australians as opposed to, you know, the uh, dominant or mainstream Australian Mm -hmm. uh, society. And one of the things that really um, sparked this discussion in recent times, not that it hasn't been going on because it has, but it's often, you know, not as prominent in media and stuff, was the, I guess, expose that Four Corners did Mm -hmm. on the treatment of young Indigenous and Aboriginal boys in particular in juvenile detention. Mm -hmm. So they were talking um, about a young boy called Dylan Voller. Mm -hmm. I think I I was reading about it. Like, I think um, the reason he he was in, you know, the detention centre was because he stole, you know, a block of chocolate or something. And it was really, yeah, something really kind of minuscule. And now he's been transferred to adult detention. Yeah, what... What are your reactions when you hear about this in the media? When you hear, um, I guess, people who do not have your experience mm. as young Indigenous people, um, how does this affect you? How do you react to it? it? It's just, it's just, there's literally, you know, Aboriginal people saying, don't kill us, basically. And people saying, you know, but, and it's kind of like, um, it, it just, it's, I I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's just, um, 
It's so disheartening. I remember when I first read this. It's actually it's kind of weird, but I remember I wrote I I wrote a letter to uh, Michael Moore, you know the famous director. Yeah, I wrote a letter to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael Moore, you yeah, were the American, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I literally I was just so upset. I didn't I didn't know who else I could. I just I just started writing a letter. I was sitting in maths and I was reading it and I was watching the video. I was watching the Four Corners when I was in maths class. I probably shouldn't have, but I, I was, <laughs> and I was so. I was just so upset, and so I thought, man, I got to tell someone. So I decided to <laughs> write a letter to Michael Moore. I haven't got a response back, but <laughs> it was good to get it down on paper. But it was just, yeah. I, I don't know. It's you can just feel the tension down there. Like it just, everyone just feels really. It's speaking. stunning. It's, it's it's probably the lowest denominator of human rights mistreatment mm. in the world. Mm. Yeah. Wow. People yeah. who are fighting um, mm. terrorist wars, yeah. like they were, they were putting in comparison to like going Tamina yeah. Bay, like some of that stuff. They there's certain rules of wars to yeah. follow, mm. um, and certain human rights uh, standards that just don't get messed with. Mm. This broke all of those rules, wow. and it's yeah. Mm. It's just a shame. Oh, and then there's the people that come out and say, "Oh well, but imagine the the guards that did it. They were probably they were just really stressed." And it was like, uh, <laughs> "Are you kidding me? Like, can yeah. you imagine? Like, you you, you could you couldn't anything. actually imagine how? No, no, you just it's just you just be so sad and scared and." Uh. Well, it did spark a royal commission um, insight into yeah. these incidents, and I think I don't even think the guards have been charged. Yeah, I was going to say, of course they haven't. No. Yeah, I was going to say, that'd be an interesting thing yeah. Yeah, to bring yeah. up because um, there was actually yeah, a royal commission of death and custody in 1987. Yeah. Absolutely. $50 million has been spent on it. Yeah. There's been 330 recommendations. If all of those recommendations were implemented, the Dondale incident wouldn't have happened, but most of them have been ignored. Yeah. No single person in Australia has ever been convicted for death and custody. Yeah. So, and there's a huge issue with... Um, Basically, currently the police have to police the police, so there's really little. Yeah, yeah. I guess one of the major criticisms of you know, then the royal commission, you know, being a reaction to this expose is that one, this had been going on for such a long time. Yeah. So yeah. many people, especially those in positions of influence, who could have done something mm-hmm. about it, knew about right. it. Yeah. Two, there had already been a royal commission, commission. Yeah. with so many recommendations Rendation. that had they been put in place, may have and probably yeah. would have prevented mm. some things like this happening again. And three, mm. what is the likelihood then a second mm. Royal Commission mm. is, gonna, yeah. is going like, to make yeah. and like reasonable, the, tangible change? Yeah. The truth is, like, this kind of brutality in prison and the detention systems, and even in the foster system, uh, sy- systems, mm. has been going on for years. It's yeah. it's it's not new. It's nothing, it's mm. nothing new. Yeah. It's just that, you know... We have footage now, and we can we have proof and proof, evidence, yeah. and people kind of have to go, you know, crap, you know, I have to now, now, yeah. I, oh, now, maybe I, sh- I, you know, I didn't mean to do it, and it's kind of mm. like, well, you know, this has been going on for years. It's not new. It's not new. It's yeah. just they've been caught. Been caught. Yeah, yeah. Um, when the um 
when Four Corners did this expose on Don Dale and Dylan Fuller. Um, so how old is he, by the way? Does anyone know? 19. 19? 19. But I yeah. think he, was, he yeah. entered that uh, when detention centre when he was very young. Yeah. yeah. I think younger than that, actually. He entered yeah. when he was 16, and because he turned 19 or over 18 yeah. while his intention, he's now moved to the adult prison. Oh. Yeah. All for stealing a chocolate bar. Yeah. I, I couldn't find myself to watch it because I, I knew that... Because, like, I'm a real, like, light, bubbly person. And, you can vouch for that. And, like, just just hearing that poem and hearing the speech from his sister, it, it's... I can't even describe the emotions that mm. I'm feeling right now because yeah. I, I always think, you know, the people that, um, you know, run the prisons, they're there to kind of, you know... Mm. Um, monitor the kids and to kind of somehow um, mentor them and to you know guide them through so when they do get out that they'll they'll know exactly what they need to do and not mm. kind of repeat that, what they that did. That boy was just going to be scarred for life. Yeah, it's just, just gonna, completely inhumane. Like, yeah, so like one of the supposedly aims of the Victoria justice system, as you probably will know, is rehabilitation. Yeah. But what people are questioning is that. What are these, like, how is this detention centre? How are these situations going to help anyone rehabilitate? Like, how yeah. can anyone go back to I think, to the, in mm. fact, they're designed to break people, well, yeah. uh, especially these young these young people in the detention mm. centres. Mm. Um, like you were saying, even if he does, um, even if they're released, and many of them are, what? how are they supposed to build their lives back up again when this mm. has happened um, on such a huge scale? It's just, how, it's so hard to get back up from... Yeah, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's it's not enough that they're already being discriminated against, whether that be in the workforce or against, you know, yeah. maybe they don't have enough rights um, given to them by the mm. government. Um, you know, how how many walls do we have mm. to fence up? Or for... Mm. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I guess. No, sorry. Oh, even for, like, you know... Some of these kids would be getting out of prison to come home and find their brothers and sisters have been taken out of the home, yeah. would just be the most heartbreaking thing. Absolutely. It really seems like a... Vicious a, cycle. Yeah, a vicious cycle. I mm. mean, yeah, like you said, kind of it breaks confidence, not only in the system, but individually. Mm. You know, mm. those young people um, that find themselves yeah. in that situation and often it's been demonstrated that they will be re-offenders yeah. because, you know... And what, re- it, what it, Yeah. Because there is no real re- rehabilitation that yeah. takes place. Yeah. There is no concern, it seems, when they are in that system yeah. for their humanity, for then their, you know, lives in society. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing, I mean, I was listening and reading yesterday that they're trying to investigate, um, which was, again, one of the recommendations that they had in the previous mm-hmm. Royal Commission, now that they're doing the hearings, is that, you know, young Indigenous people want to remain in their communities yeah yeah and that's been known for the longest time i mean no one really wants to be taken yeah yeah want to remain in in their communities want to remain in contact with their elders want to Mm. remain in contact with their families that's not something that's not a crazy idea that's not a wild Mm. idea that's not something you don't need people to investigate into (laughs) that too far no it seems reasonable yeah and like the fact is what does it tell people who don't know much about aboriginal culture Mm. um about Indigenous people, if the only thing they see about them in the media and the news is how they're being treated in, you know, jail Both systems. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's it's only ever kind of things, you know, Indigenous people kind of, you know, in the wrong, I guess. Oh. It's, it's kind of it's kind of disheartening, I think. Um, you know, there's, you hear the fact that, you know, if as a young Indigenous person, you're more likely to go to jail than to finish uni. Yeah. And, oh, God, it's just, yeah. you know. Yeah, so um, I guess trying to make it a bit more 
I don't know. Well, I was just wondering. So if this is all constantly these kind of recommissions about the same kind of issues, what do you think is the right direction to maybe positive change? Like, Or what keeps you hopeful? hopeful. Yeah. Because there are so many things that are happening. I mm. mean, you have young Indigenous people mm. with incredibly high rates of incarceration in comparison mm. to the rest of the mainstream, mm. you know, society. You have mm. young Indigenous men being killed. Mm. Um, and women. And yeah. women. Mm. Then you have the discussions around, you know, recognition of Indigenous mm. people mm. as opposed to or in contrast mm. to, you know, having a treaty with mm. Indigenous people. Well, and then yeah. there's domestic violence yeah, 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 and, yeah. you know, the rates of... Um, low literacy, low literacy, literacy rates, yeah. high mortality, health. You know the yeah. fact that you but, know as an indigenous yeah. person, you're just, more you're you are like more likely to die earlier of a yeah, preventable yeah. disease. Mm. You know, and how do you keep hopeful when you yeah. see all those things that all contribute to this gap? Well, just to go on from that, I just I will say this time and time again, and it's something I always stand by that indigenous people are one of the most. I say this with you know, complete, um, you know, faith that Aboriginal people are the most resilient, you know, people on the planet to get through stolen generations, to get through all those things you just mentioned, like prison rates, you know, uh, you know, colonization, so much stuff I've gone through. We are the most resilient. And in saying that, I think I have so much hope that it's, things are going to get better. It, let me tell you, it's going to take, it's going to take so much time, Yeah, but we'll get there. Yeah. And, like, there's so many young, amazing people like you guys. So, yeah, do you think the kind of future maybe be in the young Indigenous community? What do you... Yeah, I I have faith mm. in this generation. <laughs> yeah. Can only get people better, like I my think. cousin Kimmy doing so much for our yeah. community. Yeah. I think we really are resilient and mm. this new generation mm. is just going to yeah. watch this space because things are going to happen. Yeah. yeah. What else? Any last words before we finish up, wrap up? Um, last words? Um, I think Kimmy was, during the break, yeah. had some good insights. Yeah. I think she needs to share to the waves. Yeah, please. I need share to get to this the waves. off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, yeah, so I've been... I've had a little bit of experience with mainstream media and, you know, doing a couple of um, gigs with Sin themselves. And mm-hmm. what I've started to, like, realise, and I'm sure everyone will agree with this, is that mainstream media puts out this perception that all Aboriginal people are, you know, you know they do drugs or mm. they smoke. Mm. And I just need to get this off my chest for anyone who believes in Aboriginal stereotypes. We are not just Aboriginal. We're more than a colour. We're more than a colour. We're more than a culture. We are... Mm. More than a stereotype. Like, we're people that, you know, we work like everybody else. Mm. We go to Maccas like everybody (laughs) else. We... I did this morning. You know, we're interested in sci-fi and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like... Yeah. yeah, We're doctors, we're lawyers, we're teachers, we're politicians. Yeah. Yeah. We're not just yeah, it's, a colour. It's just really disheartening to mm. hear that mainstream mainstream mm. media has put out that perception mm. that all Aboriginal people mm. are the same. And mm. we're not, because we're, yeah. we're different. You yeah. know, we mm. like different things. We like doing different mm. activities. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and I while the yeah, yeah while the song was playing, we were discussing how you mm. guys react to when people say, "Are you like really Aboriginal?" or "How how much Aboriginal are you?" Like, what yeah. what what is your response yeah. to that? Like I was just saying before, how you know you you would never hear an Aboriginal fellow say, "Oh, uh, how much Aboriginal are you?" It's only ever white people that say, "Oh, what percent are you?" And it's kind of mm. like, mm. yeah, yeah. If you're Kuri, you're Kuri. Yeah, full you can't stop. just say, "Oh yeah, my my foot's." Aboriginal. Yeah, which, which, which part? Which <laughs> part? Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just ludicrous how yeah, 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 yeah. that has been brought over into mainstream yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah. The fact where it's socially acceptable okay. to ask what's the percentage mm. of blackness you are. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I guess so we were so talking so. about in the break so as well, just the diversity that mm. exists in yeah. Aboriginal like communities. Like, if you put it in, like, comparison, like, that's like asking, you know, if you got um, some fella from up, 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 you know, like, Kimberley Way and got, like, some, like, a Kurima uh, fella from, like, Victoria and got him to just talk. They're both Aboriginal, but, you know, they're so different in the same sense. Like, that's like getting, you know, a Somalian and, like, you know, an Ethiopian African and saying, oh, well, they're both African, so yeah. they're both exactly the same and they're both of the same culture, even though mm. it's so different and it's yeah. so... Yeah, and it's very easy to kind of be categorize people, and I think yeah. the whole idea of categorizing people is the problem in itself. Yeah, so if you can't recognize it, then I think yeah. there's something wrong. We still hold so tightly to racial stereotypes and yeah. generalizations. Yeah. We can't seem to move along, so we're just saying yeah. move along. Whereas white people like <laughs> to be like, I'm Irish, I'm Italian, Scottish, yeah, Scottish, yeah. Or but it's like not quarter, allowing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's kind of like saying, oh no, you're just you know European. It's yeah. Like, Excuse me. <laughs> idea of you know affording people more complexity yeah. yeah for sure yeah i was gonna ask kimmy because kimmy for those who know does a lot of media work mm-hmm. bit of a pr yeah. with so what do you yeah. want to see and this is for anyone panel yeah. what do you want to see in terms of media yeah nitv um, and as mm. a emerging pr professional because <laughs> i'm in like mm. a final leg of my degree mm. um i think that with the mainstream media need to do more cultural awareness training mm. they need to mm. they need to understand that with the messages mm. that they're putting out there that mm. the right people are listening because we mm. rely on mainstream media so much that it yeah it te- it teaches us you know and like that's it's no no you're um, right. it's just like you know the whole idea of nitv i think it's a really great idea I think that it's cool that it's, you know, allowing Indigenous people to have voices. But the thing is, it's very easy for all these really important Indigenous issues to kind of be swept aside to one channel, I think. And the really important stories should be broadcasted on the more prime time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sure. channels like where people, lots of people are going to see. It's very easy yeah. because you go, oh, this is all the Aboriginal stuff. Let's just give them a channel and yeah. push it aside and sweep it under the carpet. Yeah, I think it's yeah great that they have NIT. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, why aren't they represented in mainstream? Yeah, media? exactly, you know, exactly. It's like, oh, but we don't need a we don't we don't need um like yeah. an Aboriginal person on you know the morning show because so, they have yeah. NITV, so they're fine. Just give yeah. them that. And it's kind of yeah. like, dude, like you know, I <laughs> yeah. remember. The first time I saw an Indigenous per- a person on TV, I, yeah. I remember being one of the happiest moments of my life. I remember watching the David Bowie Let's Dance video clip um. and being like, oh my God, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this is the most amazing thing yeah. ever. Yeah. And I think when we get to the point where seeing an Indigenous person you know, on television, when it's not a big deal, I think that's when we're doing it right. right. Yeah. When we yeah. see someone and go, oh, you know, it shouldn't be 
It should be the new norm. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be, oh, my, my God, look, mom, mom, mom look, you know, um, aunt, yeah. look, there's an Aboriginal person on TV. Come look, quick. It should yeah. just be, oh, you know, there's just another news reporter. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. at the moment, I think it's, like, really tokenistic. Yeah, I, I agree. 100%. In, yeah, or exoticized. Yeah, yeah. And you know, portraying, like, a certain kind of character. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you guys think of Clever Man? So, for those listening, Clever oh, Man yeah. is a new series you on ABC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that's a, a step in the right direction? I I do. For those who don't know, um, so outside of my di- daytime work, I'm a professional cosplayer. Oh. So I uh, go around what the world. What makes someone a professional cosplayer? So. What, is, the, it, what is a cosplayer? I don't have no idea. Sorry, by the way. So it's not dirty. Cos, cosplaying is a cross between. Um, Costume and uh, costume play. So, oh, like um, I think they do like a thing at the exhibition center. Yeah, what's it, what's yeah. It called again? Cos- cosplay. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I heard yeah. about that. I heard about that. Yeah, so, um, so cosplay, you uh, make the costume. Not only the costume, you make the armor. You fully embody the character. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Even with that, normally people think it's, oh, yeah, it's a form of escapism, Um, which it is for some, but for some other people, it's it's a deeper meaning than that. That character may relate to them on a deeper basis. So, um, yeah, that's why I got into cosplay, um, because I identified with many of these characters. Mm. One of those being Cleverman. Yeah. So the last convention, I actually cosplayed as Cleverman. Awesome. Um, And the guest there was Hunter, who plays Cohen. Mm-hmm. AKA the clever man. Okay. Yeah. So nice, that was pretty nice. cool. I see yeah. What's happening. Yeah. yeah, but mm. I think clever man is mm. so revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. I think linguistic. I think linguistically, it's kind of cool because um, my mob, the Gabangri mob from um, Northern New South Wales, actually used the li- like the language in oh, in wow. like in clever man. So I was like, mm. oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah of <laughs> it's a, and it was just oh, it's almost surreal. Cl- on the TV and be like, oh my god, that's Gabangri language. Like what? Yeah. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah. And they use all Koori extras, cool. yeah, yeah, cast, yeah. film crew. And the directors are... Yeah, yeah. which awesome. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Briggs, I love Briggs. Yeah. And how does that make you feel? Because, I mean, the issue of representation is so important mm. for as young Indigenous people. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely a step in the right, right direction. direction. Yeah. So you want to see more shows? That's Yes, yeah. not only on... A show of itself, but you know, there's three indigenous uh, X Men yeah. that I know of. Why can't they be in the big films? Mm. Yeah, yeah, or so true. and so. But you know, it's only going up mm. from here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, or even you know, obviously those are kind of more American things like the X Men, and but why isn't there more you know American Indian? Yeah. Superheroes in that sense. Why do they? Why are they casting Johnny Depp? Yeah. To play yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What yeah. I like about Clever Man is again, it's not tokenistic. It's not like oh, we're gonna um, do it like this is not like an Aboriginal 
TV series per se. They've just kind of... Yeah, it's just a TV it, series. Yeah, it's a TV series, but it's obviously directed by an mm. Indigenous person using their own culture to tell the story. So it's it's more like it's got sci-fi, it's got thriller, it's got a bit mm. of everything. It's a great show. Like, yeah. generally speaking, yeah. it is a great show. What's I've, funny, I've it's... It. Yeah. Um, so things... Uh, sci-fi shows are usually... Um, Reflections of yeah. what's going on in mm, society, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which is interesting. Mm, that is, yeah. And I think Clever Man have, uh, has pro- portrayed that well. well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness, there is so much more that we could talk, talk about. about. There is so much more that we want to talk about. But of course, you know, you'll well, have to <laughs> tune in next week and yeah. catch more of us um, here at the girls, the team of Life in Colour. Yeah. But we just wanted to say thank you so much to our guests today, Aretha, Hi. Kimmy, Hello. and Keenan. Thank you. For, I guess, <laughs> enriching this discussion. And really, yeah. um, we wanted you guys You're to welcome. take the lead on that. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, speaking on these issues and we hope that you guys and that's another episode by life in color tune in next week for another discussion and join the conversation on facebook life in color and follow us on twitter at it's life in color see you next week